This is Ross Payton with Roleplaying Bubble Radio. This is RPPR episode 153, History's Mysteries. This is about using history in role-playing games, uh, of using history as a setting, uh, incorporating historical elements into other games, uh, blending fact and fiction. Uh, this is obviously inspired by our recent run of the Reign of Terror, a uh, Call of Cthulhu scenario put out by Chaosium, set during the French Revolution, and it made me, uh, you know, think about like, hey, w- w- what's good to use in history? Uh, what's not good? Like, what you know? So, uh, I have guests, special guests, because they're not often on the show. Uh, Bridget and Thad, and uh, so say hello. Hello, I'm I'm Bridget. I'm, I don't think I've ever actually been on a main RPPR show. I think I've oh, just yeah. been on the actual plays. Uh, and, and our Patreon episodes, uh, Don't Cross the Stream and uh, After Hours and some things like mm-hmm. that. I've, I've ran, a, ran a couple of Shadowrun games. Yep. Thank you, yep. everyone who came out and enjoyed those. Uh, and then, of course, Thad. You know, yes, I have been here before. I think <laughs> once, twice, just once, maybe. I don't yep. know. Uh, but before we get into that and uh, all that fascinating discussion, uh, we do have a bit of news. Uh, first off, if you haven't checked the actual play site in a while, we've uh, put out a new video uh, of us playing Puppet Land with puppets. Uh, so that was a fun thing to do for April 1. So uh, check that out. Uh, also, yeah, they're, they're, they're good puppets. Like they are I, good puppets. I, I used the Caleb puppet profusely at the, uh, the Gen Con meetup last uh, year. We'll, we'll do more videos of them. Uh, people seem to really like that. Uh, it's just a matter of figuring out easier ways to record them. Uh, and then, uh, let's hear also Aaron is back, uh, doing raillery, uh, on Twitch and fortunately, uh, he should be, if you, uh, so subscribe to that so you can find out when he's doing it. Uh, also he should be saving his streams. He's going to shadow the Colossus, uh, last I heard. So that should be fun. Um, but, uh, the big, See, news- I, I would love to, I would love to do stream stuff, but I would want to stream like garbage PS2 games. All, all this high tech stuff is meh. Um, well, we'll talk to me after the, after the show, maybe we can work something out. Um, so, but the big news is of course, uh, Bridget has launched her own Patreon, uh, and Bridget, would you like to talk about that? Yeah. Um, I started my own Patreon, um, a couple months ago, uh, and it seems to be fairly, uh, I don't know if I want to say popular, but interesting. Um, I put I do a lot of work on my like my own games um, that don't make it or at least not yet haven't made it into any of the actual plays for RPPR. Um, so right now I'm working on yet an idea for a system that's about speedrunning dungeons. Um, so I have a podcast that's chronicling my attempts to make that. So if you had a good time with something like um, the Red Markets um, design phase that Caleb went through, like we're doing a similar thing. If you want to check that out. The other thing I do is, um, if you've listened to Don't Cross the Streams, um, I make a lot of like micro games or extra mechanics. Um, so if you check out my Patreon, you can see uh, those PDFs, um, stuff I've made for that, and then other similar content. Um, I have some ideas for some like Dungeons and Dragons, like character races and character classes that I would like to put up soon. Um, also, all of the. Um, Shadowrun games and things like that that I've done for RPPR, I, I'm, I'm writing up into nice, neat PDFs. So if you want to run those games for your friends, um, those would be free to everybody. But obviously, if you like it, please 
subscribe. <laughs> uh, and I was a guest on uh, your podcast, uh, and it was called, uh, let's see, Comfy Cuties Cast. Uh, Comfy is, Cuties, episode is, two. It, which is a great name for a podcast. Uh, that and, that yeah, is solid title work. It is solid title work. Um, and the alliteration is A+. The uh, also you, I mean, Bridget does really great work just with the flavor text. Like the the, the flavor text alone of some of the Shadowrun scenarios is worth the 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 backing supporting her on Patreon. And uh, you also get a if you back her Patreon, you get a special desktop wallpaper of her banner art uh, of the. Uh, 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 are they just original characters, or do you have anything about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, my my Patreon is magical girl themed. If you go and look at it. Um, if you get onto my Patreon, um, you'll see that big banner there. It's a bunch of um, like D and D like fantasy races dressed up as magical girls. And if you think that's cool, if you back my Patreon, um, we have a couple wallpaper sizes for those to for you to use on your desktop. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Uh, so anyways, uh, it's very cool stuff. Uh, help support a new a new game designer. And uh, so anyways, let's get into the podcast. So. Um, yeah, let's talk about the history. So the genesis of this uh, episode wasn't just the reign of terror, uh, which is a well-written scenario and, and, and seems to have some pretty good historical backing there. There's, there's several, um, there's a good amount of the, the book is about the background of the French revolution. Uh, yeah, that was one of the things I was, yeah. that was one of the things I was most curious about when I, uh, cause I listened to the, um, the actual play just, I think yesterday and, uh, I was kind of curious. Curious as to what the book would look like before I actually like got a chance to to see through. There's a lot of good flavor text and mm-hmm. like background notes and and sort of scene setting. Yeah, uh, um, there's uh yeah, it's not just about the French Revolution overall, but also like life in Paris. Uh, the player characters are soldiers, and it talks. There's a whole page of just what it's like to be a soldier in 1789 uh, in Paris and that kind of thing. And uh, but so. You know, I read through all that, but then an RPPR list, a very helpful one, uh, messaged me. He's like, oh, if you have any other questions, if you want more information about the French Revolution, uh, would you – I would be happy to answer any of your questions or anything like that. And and to be honest, I was like, well, this this whole book is a lot of information and, like, it, it's already integrated in the scenario. And I kind of don't want to add more information to that because I uh, – one <laughs> – Ross I'm, doesn't do homework. I am, I am kind of lazy. <laughs> Uh, but well, I mean, too. Also, I didn't want to, you know. We I've made the joke before that you know uh, the the games that Adam Scott Glancy runs are could count as college. That credit. was it. Yeah, Glancy was exactly who popped in my head yeah. when you said what we were talking about today. And, yeah, and, I need um, I need two more credits for summer quarter. So if Glancy <laughs> is running a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll i'll see if you can uh, he, i bet you can get a uh you can join his class it's it's they're usually booked full though um <laughs> actually i gotta say though like uh, the thing that made me really respect the the reign of terror book mm-hmm. was the first thing that i always look for uh in almost any book that i read because academia has broken me is a bibliography and mm-hmm. this book has a hell of a bibliography. It has an annotated bibliography mm-hmm. in a goddamn RPG book. And that just makes me pleased as punch. Well, uh, Chaosium is pretty... Well, I think recently they've been trying to be pretty good about the, the historical background. I mean, Call of Cthulhu scenarios in general are tend to be way closer to academic... Way closer to the... I mean, Glancy is not like an aberration in the Call of Cthulhu writing style <laughs> he, he was a, he's a creature of the system he's, he's at one end of the spectrum but he's not like by old, there's there are other writers pretty close up there um and 
but yeah, like I mean, Glancy's games are still playable and they're quite fun. But like, if you and I've I've seen games that were even farther, you know, more extreme than Glancy's than what he what he has written, what he has done, and those get you know, there's a certain there, the question is yeah, like. For me, it's like at what point if you can't speak this period of French, you can't play the game. Well, I mean, like at, at what level do you bury your players in historical detail versus having a playable game? And then there's always the fact that no matter how much research you do, you're going to have blind spots. And and then there's the question, of course, of is this research really accurate? I mean, can you really simulate the past? Um, so what is history? What is knowledge? What are humans? Yeah. So these are the questions and ideas that, that I sort of for the genesis of the episode, um, I kind of want to start with Bridget because she actually had to answer all these questions herself, uh, fairly recently when she was, uh, prepping for her, uh, samurai fate games, uh, that were excellent. And I love playing them, but like, I, I just wanted for, for you, uh, what your, what kind of issues you wrestled with what was sort of at the forefront of your mind well okay so the the thing that i wanted to do is i was like all right well it would it would be cool if there was like a game that you could play like just anything with like samurai and swords because like i kind of like the idea like the like the like samurai sword fight aesthetic like Mm -hmm. um I've watched um, a few Chanbara films and things like that. And so I'm like, you know, that's fun. That could be fun to play with friends. So what what is the best? I Googled what is the best Feudal Japan role-playing game. And I ended up with Sengoku, um, which I don't know if you've cracked that book op- open, but it's mm-hmm. like 400 pages. And 300 of those is like setting research, like Ooh. times and clocks and titles of address and like... Um, manners tea ceremony like it's cool stuff but it's like oh my gosh that's so overwhelming Mm -hmm. like how do i break that down for people to um it's a big buy how do i make that fun for people who have like never like read it before yeah you know um Um, yeah i look like like i was just saying like you know there are gms and people who write further out than glancy i think sengoku was sort of an example of that Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah so definitely the first thing I said is um, I didn't want to do like an exact simulation because like that would require um, a lot of work on my part and that would require a lot of work on players' part because like I feel like if you want to make something simulationy that's fun but that needs to be something that your group wants to invest in. Mm-hmm. Um, so the things that we decided to focus on were deliberate things for um, building setting or like kind of building that that mood. Um, uh, we talk a lot about uh, what side people put swords on, um, the the posture of samurai walking down roads um, to indicate aggression, like things that like actually happen. But like for me, it was like focusing on a level of detail that would serve drama mm-hmm. um, and not so much be be purely simulationist. Because like when you're so detached from the source culture and you're so detached from even the time zone, like how can you really be simulationist? Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I would imagine if you're piling on like uh, your your sort of verisimilitude detail, just piling it on and on, eventually it's going to get to a point where it's interrupting or preventing play from happening. Mm-hmm. Well, and and then the other thing is like if you're going to pick a culture that is so far outside of your own, like you want to re- be respectful of the source material. 
So anything that's like during a war is obviously immediately interesting because there's like chaos and conflict, but also like you have to remember that like real people lived through those wars so um, and died in them. So being respectful of the events that happened as well as, um, you know, like uh, just people of the time like times and culture is definitely a big deal uh, i think that's one of the reasons like why we went with like a vaguely fantasy um version of things um just so that just to kind of avoid some some pit traps yeah. in, in that respect yeah i mean yeah and that's and, that, and that's a whole other issue like um i mean the french this this call cthulhu scenario obviously adds the cthulhu mythos to the french revolution um mm-hmm. and i think it handles it well because it's happening, but it's it's not um, what I have seen in the past. Certain, it's not making it to where Cthulhu is the one cutting off people's heads, like right, it's not right, caused right. It's, by it, the mythos. Yeah, it's not Haster or Nyarlathotep who's really behind it. You know, Robespierre is not an avatar. Um, it's still it's still a human. It's just hiding in the background, um, and. So that that I think I mean that that's certainly a part. You have to be respectful of the the, the source material, regardless uh, of year, even if it's you know a thousand years back. Because I mean, history matters, and um, you can't uh, just kind of simplify. I mean, the whole point of the history is to add a bit of complexity and sort of um, something to make it more gripping. Because what I found interesting in the samurai game was things like what's what side the sword was on, what stance was it on, because it it turns it from like a not generic, Oh, we're swordsmen fighting in the woods to like, this is like, it's, it, it has more signification to me. More, more. It, it prevents mm-hmm. it from being a brawler where you're dressed as samurai. Yeah. Well, exactly. and it, it, it captures kind of like the mode of communication, like for that culture without like commenting, like making like a judgment on it. Mm-hmm. So like, um, definitely like in Asian culture, like Asian cultures, sorry, in general, I don't want to, paint asia as as a homogenous culture yeah. but like especially in in japanese like there's a lot of like talking around a thing and there's a lot of um being very politic about things um so that's something that like i wanted to convey but then like like we we're saying like these examples were definitely all for drama where like if you did it wrong it would be um it would get you into trouble and that that also plays into um like famous Japanese stories, like it's not something that was coming out of nowhere because um, one of like the best known stories that I'm sure everyone has heard of is the Chushingara or um, the 47 Ronin, um, which is like an entirely, this massive conflict that takes place over about a year um, where um, 47 um, soldiers get revenge for their disgraced Lord. Um, and that happens because of a, a very, one very small moment where um, their Lord had um, had done that kind of faux pas that he was like kind of tricked into doing. Um, so yeah, so it didn't come from nowhere. Like there was precedent, like we had a model for it. And that's mm-hmm. like, if you're going to do that kind of thing for your game, like that's, that's something I would like look for mm-hmm. um, is, is things that might model what your campaign wants to do so that, that when you have people in inter- reacting to things, like it, it can be authentic and it can be respectful. I think that's an interesting idea is like think of the kind of story you want to tell and then find 
the bit of history that sort of goes along with that. Um, yeah, I, making I, it sort of thematically complementary. Yeah, because usually it's the other way around, right? Obviously, it's like, oh, this this thing of history is really cool. Let's let's make a game out of it. Um, but I think you know, for GMs, uh, regardless of. I think every GM sort of uh, works better when it's a type of story that that really grips them. Because when you're really interested in the re- resolution of the story, like your players will pick up on it. You know, if you're really into, you know, stories about honor and sacrifice, you know, like this is the kind of story for you. But if you're more like, I love Machiavellian politics and like intrigue and backstabbing and like um, people being utterly ambitious and ruthless. Well, maybe you should actually look at Machiavelli. Like. For example, mm-hmm. and that whole the whole city states uh, uh, of uh, Italy of the era. So like, um, so yeah, but uh, uh, yeah. So anyways, um, Dad, you were saying? Oh no, I was I was just saying. I, I think that that one of the things that, especially as I, I listened to the the Reign of Terror, and mm-hmm. and uh, I haven't I haven't finished uh, Bridget's Fate games. I've listened to I think the first i think i just listened to the first one but then i got distracted because she kept running shadow run and that is my jam but um (laughs) but i think the the thing that makes those games really pop is is that thematic connection like Mm -hmm. i think it's what prevents it from just being like in the way that you know you can take call of duty and put it in any war that has guns and the war around it doesn't matter it's Mm -hmm. just what's happening around the gunfire and without that kind of thematic connection then I think that's that that to me is the sort of what what to avoid is just to to have it be wearing costumes while doing something completely unrelated. Like yeah. if you're if you're really going to do a historical game like that, that to me, it's an opportunity to look for those kinds of themes. Yeah. You don't want a theme park. You don't want Westworld or, you know, Samurai. Yeah, I, mean, exactly. I, mean, I want Westworld, but for different reasons. Yeah. I mean, Westworld is a science fiction. Yeah. Like the act. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, one, of I get, the, yeah, sorry. one of the things that I saw that I thought, because um, since we're talking about Call of Cthulhu, one mm-hmm. of the things that um, was like really respectful of like history and like wars and things like that was um, actually um, Eternal Darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, because at one point, yes. in time, like, um, the game takes place during like World War One, World War Two, and like the evil like extra dimensional creatures that are trying to destroy everything, like they don't cause world war ii it's just like it's finally the ultimate cover because like with with every nation at war and like bloodshed being a daily thing we can just kill and sacrifice people by the dozens and no one will get suspicious because bodies are piling (laughs) up everywhere i I always prefer that choice like uh, to me one of the the worst choices you can make in any kind of like transposing supernatural or, or science fiction bullshit onto history is to make the oh it was actually the lizard people all all along that caused this it's not man's inhumanity to man no it's humans are blameless it's the monster's fault now piss off no no Um, um i think it's i think it's okay if you want as long as you like illustrate people that are bad as like being bad, like if you want to like, because like Mecha Hitler is definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, and and I, I I can be a bit of a hypocrite in this because if you do it well, I think you can get away well, with doing that. I, I think maybe that maybe the 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 good dividing line would be like 
if you saying this evil supernatural thing is responsible for the actions of an individual, uh, like uh, the the first example is actually coming in my head is the Sean Beanie clan or like, you know, that which is a, which is not an individual, but a small group of a family <laughs> who were all uh, supposedly cannibals and murderers and bandits, uh, like saying that they were, you know, vampires or ogres or something like that is, I think, more uh, potential for a story. But like saying that, like an institution or government, an entire, you know, like something with that, that sort of uh, foundation is responsible for the evil. That's like, you're sort of also drifting into like conspiracy theories, which are really harmful to, you know, at real yeah. people. So like individuals, not institutions, I would say would be the, the dividing line, at least for me. I don't know, Bridget, you were saying. No, that's stuff. That's definitely something I, I can, I can agree with. Like, um, because like if you want to say that like World War II was the direct result of like evil aliens or something instead of like the geopolitical and social factors of the time, like mm-hmm. um, and the conscious I think, decisions I, of the people who were yeah, I, I I think I think you're setting yourself up for um uh for for veering into harmful territory, um, mm-hmm. especially like the wider your, your game group grows, like it's much more likely that you're going to run into a situation where you make someone at the table uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, one other issue that, uh, and, and sort of related that is like as a GM, um, you kind of like, you, you know, we already mentioned earlier, like you have to know what your players want and, you know, sort of like go into that and not kind of like if they want to go to the left, not for you to do a 180 and be like, no, fuck you. I want to do this. But like, on the other hand, so there's sort of there's that catering to your players once, but there's also like the other side where like maybe you want to not veer them 180 degrees away, but kind of steer them a little outside of their comfort zone or like sort of like, I mean, in, in Adam Scott Glancy's games, I'm not a World War One expert, but I, I I was educated by these games and I, uh, you know, I was outside of my, my wheelhouse and I, I appreciated that, you know, just learning exactly how horrible it was to fight in the, you know, Alps in world war one and how utterly absurd it was, uh, made it, made the game more memorable to uh, me. So like, what is yeah. the role between like, if your players all know about like history period, why or whatever, um, catering to that versus like here I'm going to guide you and show you and educate you about this uh, to a degree I don't know like like how how far do you go and and again this is going back in the whole thing about like how much detail do you put in a game but yeah I uh, think I don't know what I think a lot of that is that that the opportunities that we have especially being uh, people from America who really don't know that much about about <laughs> history unless unless we like went outside of our our education system to learn about it yeah uh, like I, I, just the amount of of history that I've learned from reading fiction sometimes is amazing in comparison to what I learned in actual school. Mm-hmm. But that's a weird tangent. Uh, but no, I, I think that's a good example of why this kind of historical game can be really valuable. I think it's an opportunity to sort of like share in peeking outside of like the three periods in history that we are generally familiar with, yeah. like now World War Two and the American Revolution. Wait, there was a civil war? No, we don't talk about that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, Bridget was, you were doing some of that in the samurai game because I mean, I, I think everybody in those games has, you know, got some contact through, you know, watching samurai movies and and things of that nature, but like not (laughs) actually, you actually have the background in that you were actually studying that, uh, in an actual, you know, uh, formally, not just, you know, (laughs) yeah. 
Yeah, um, you can see um, things that appeal to me specifically in different things. Um, there is um, like a very brief cameo by the person that eventually goes on to do the first like Kabuki theater. Mm. Um, well, at least Kabuki dancing. I don't know I, that I would necessarily call it theater at that point. Um, but listen, you want, you want to be here for another half hour? I'll explain everything to you. Um, I, I would love that. Let's just stop and listen to Bridget tell us about Kabuki. Can we do that? Can we? Um, but then that, but the other thing is like, you can always, you can always work in little vignettes in um, different things. Um, like the, the, the Rakugo opening, mm-hmm. um, that, that was fun. Um, oh, was that the festival? Then, um, or is that, which one was that? No, no, no. I'm talking about, um, the Halloween. Oh, the Shadow yeah, Run yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, hey. Um, so yeah, I think, I think maybe like as a GM, there's sort of a, like, I think there you do need to push them a little outside. And like, I mean, I've heard of people like, oh, it's a group of you know English professors and history uh, professors who all play pin dragging, and they're all experts in Arthurian you know legend. Well, okay, <laughs> that's that sounds like that would be torturous. That would be. Uh, I do know like the game Ars Magica, which is ex- ex- like that's actually farther than glancing in terms of historical research, but but about medieval magic and alchemy um, was written by actual you know history doctorates who are just like this D D is foolish i want a real magic system based on humors and you know uh, <laughs> yes, yeah well, you must actually bleed yourself at the table i mean well i th- yeah so. i think one thing you can do um is like you don't want to theme park it like you don't mm-hmm. want just like things to like happen but i think it is useful if you if you if there's like a very dramatic event that happens like a very big um event that happens like it can be fun to have a story that takes place during Mm -hmm. that event to like show people like um what it was kind of like for people on the streets like during that time Mm -hmm. um and one thing i can think of is um if you wanted to just in like historical japan if you wanted to do a game during like one of the times that the imperial palace was set on fire like Mm -hmm. that would be extremely interesting because that's like something that can happen like regardless of what's going on like with your players but like you can definitely communicate that that insistence of like you know like politics were really in upheaval like it was very scary for for people to be alive during this time and if you're in a densely packed city made of wood and there's a big fire like that's kind of a bad time like yeah, the existential terror of fire before firefighting is mm-hmm. something i don't there's, think we get enough of yeah. yeah there's a lot of like good like moments that you can build around it so it, it become it stops becoming a theme park because you like really get into the emotional details and like the historical details where like this is what it's like this is what people were feeling god i, I do know um well let me see if I remember this right. I, I think I read something about how the, the firefighting groups in Tokyo in that time would have it like occasionally like get into fist fights over who could put out a, 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 a and there were more like gangs running protection rackets. Um, am I remembering that right? Or was there sort of a, a degree of criminality or hoodlumism? Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't, I feel like that would be a regional thing. Um, yeah. Well, it's specific to Tokyo, like in it, yeah, it would be, yeah, it would have been specific yeah. to Edo. Yeah. Um, but like, definitely, like firefighting was like a like a big deal profession, like simply because like fires were so damaging, both economically and just like <laughs> in terms of like casualties. Like, mm-hmm. um, fire was 
fire bad. Fire, <laughs> fire, fire is bad. So like yeah. a lot of a lot of the firefighting in in that period like was not about like using water to douse things. Like you had people who had multiple a tool like a tool that did multiple things. Like it was a ladder, um, but it was also like essentially like a big crowbar like the goal was to take apart houses next to the ones on fire so that it had nothing to burn onto very quickly dismantle an entire structure um and you have people like like hooking various poles together to make a ladder and so there's like somebody precariously balanced on the top of it trying to pull down structures so um that that's a cool job in and of itself. Just like I'm already riveted by this. Yeah, you could you could do a whole game about like Tokyo firefighters. Um, it would probably be a really sick drama, honestly. It would actually sounds like a really good game. Um, but that's the kind of yeah. that's the kind of thing you want to dig into when you like want to paint a picture of a historical era. Is like what is the cool shit that was like? Because you don't need to invent things. Just like mm-hmm. look at all the cool shit that was already yeah. happening and research that. So I, I feel like a lot of. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, so I guess the the question is like maybe uh, we should also talk about like how to get these kind of ideas like where where like because I know a lot of people may be intimidated by historical research because like you get one you know academic book and you know they're they're fair they can be fairly dense never uh, never yeah. read a whole academic book that's yeah. just a trap <laughs> uh, well exactly but not not everybody knows that you know you get a book of, oh this is the history of blah 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 and then you just read it up and it's just you know dozens of footnotes and. <laughs> Very, and and academic style of text you. is not very approachable for, um, and then someone yeah. finds you dead in your chair, yeah. just you eviscerated should, by a book. Yeah. Absolutely, read academic um, textbooks for the footnotes because lots of times oh, yeah. you will be seeing an ideological war happening in the footnotes, <laughs> where they like where you can tell that people are trying to be professional. Where they're like, in this article that I will name, the people in it get it completely wrong and they're terrible. And I'm talking about you, George. Like, yeah, basically, like very... some tweeting was invented in like a- academic footnotes and marginalia. Yeah. yeah, forever ago. Um, but like one of the things, if you like, if you want to have like a low impact way of investigating a culture um, and like trying to like piece out cool things, mm-hmm. one of the things I would do is I would go to ghost stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's two reasons here. One, um, you get ghost stories, which ghost stories are inherently cool. Yeah. Um, you get to learn about all kinds True. of cool monsters. You get to learn about. Um, that will oftentimes segue into different like fairy tales, which will be very illustrative of culture, but also like ghost stories are stories that get told for a reason. Like um, I'm sure that you've got caught, you got told like the very like prototypical versions of them. Like um, whenever your parents didn't want you to do something, like if you don't brush your teeth, the boogeyman will get you mm-hmm. like, it's not about the story is not about the boogeyman. It's about the, the, the behavior that you're supposed to be emulating, which is like, you need to brush your teeth. And so like, when you look at good stories, there's, um, there's a real potential um, to see what a culture values um, and what, like what the proper like modes of behavior are in that culture. So like, it'll be really illuminating while you essentially just read like children's fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, Two stories that I want to bring up specifically for Japan um, is Kuchisake Ona, sorry, Kuchisake Ona, um, which is this woman who will accost you on the street and ask if you think she's pretty. Uh, And if you say yes, um, her mouth will slit way back and open up into this very monstrous mouth and she'll ask you again. And regardless if you say yes or no, she'll devour you. Um, (laughs) 
But you have, there are so, so many So never ways. compliment anyone. No, there are so many ways to get past this, though. If you ask her any question, she'll get confused and you can leave. Uh, or you can say that, I'm sorry, I have somewhere to be. And then she'll, like, apologize and, like, let you go. Whoa, oh, my God, so that's amazing. It's kind of, like, it's it's a cool ghost story in, on the face of it. And then there, she's also, like, a cool monster. Like, she's, because she's, like, a woman with this, like, massive, like, fanged mouth. But it also kind of gives you a script for what to do um, with actions in public. Like, it's not good to, like, just stop people for things. Um, And if you want to get out of something, like, there are polite ways to end conversation. But it's also kind of like, um, like, it's kind of like a bigger social commentary in that, like, the value of woman isn't, like, whether or not she's, like, pretty. It's, like, the the value is more in how you interact with other people. And And whether or not she can eat you. (laughs) And then the other one is, is, uh, I want to talk about is a much more minor ghost, um, Beto Beto, which is, it's literally just noises that a sandal makes it's like when you're walking alone at night and you hear the noise of like sandals behind you that are like slowly catching up to you like that's literally all the ghost does and the way you get it to go away like to stop bothering you is you step to the side and you say after you beta beta son and then the ghost will walk off um so like that like kind of emphasizes like um deference uh, and like politeness, which is definitely like a cultural value, but you again, you still get a cute anecdote. Like you get this like interesting ghost story that you can use uh, whenever you feel like in your campaign for like flavor. So like oh, those definitely are ghost stories is what I would I would yeah. delve into. Yeah, um, and I think well, one of those just to I think following up on that, it, it's it's important to look into like how many little ghost stories and things like that, not just from other cultures, but but hell from our own cultures that don't really get any play. Like I have all sorts of books about American folklore that have just tons of bonkers stuff. Uh, I don't know if they are as the, like, they, I'm not sure if they tell me as much like thematically interesting things about American culture, because a lot of them do seem like somebody just ate the mushrooms they found and then told other people about what happened. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think those are, um, Def, like Ghostory, it, it, like for the first thing that I think of when when you when you're talking about that, Bridget, was actually um, the movie Pan's Labyrinth, um, because that kind yes. of like uh, a Pan's Labyrinth style game of like taking a, a period of uh, history that is not as well known, at least to you know uh, us, and also blending in you know folklore essentially. Um, can make a very unique and evocative setting. And you can use this uh, to talk about a lot of different things. Um, you know, if you're doing a Pan's Labyrinth style game, you could run any number of systems from Cthulhu to uh, Little Fears to, uh, you know, monsters and other childish things. Um, and come up with a lot of great ideas. I mean, in the West, like ghost stories, uh, you know, tend to be like so and so was murdered here. And when you, uh, oh, we, you know, we have the hitchhiking ghosts and haunted houses and, uh, well, haunted houses have their own, um, they do like illustrate things about, um, like mm-hmm. American culture. Like when you go into a house and it's haunted and you're worried about living there, like, it's like the, the story isn't really about a ghost in a house. The story is about how you like, you just invested literally all of your money into a location that you are now tied to. Mm. Um, so like, so that like speaks a lot about like, kind of like the uncertainty of like property 
and like I guess I want to say the American dream in America. That's a good uh, point. And then the right. other thing, American dream. Yeah. yeah, and then the other thing that um, steps out to me is um, Stephen King's It, uh, which is you know a ghost story about a murderous clown, but like at the same time, like it's it's less about like the evil that is the clown and more like everyday evils that people just um, ignore and turn a blind eye to. And so I like are allowed to like fester and rot in the heart of small towns because Mm -hmm. no one wants to address them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that, yeah, that speaks to the American experience of like, we idealize small town life. It's like Mayberry or, you know, something like that, but it's really just as, and we, you know, as opposed to the big city, which is film noir and corrupt and evil and it, it dehumanizes you, but small towns have just as much evil as big cities. Um, and that's, yeah, no, that's a, um, so that so anyways to, to our larger point ghost stories folk that kind of thing are really yeah that's a really good uh starting point for researching an era so maybe look up if you're about history period x look up its ghost stories that's actually a really good idea i had not considered that i think it's uh, a i think it's also a good way of avoiding especially for for things like call of cthulhu where people know like a, a, a non a significant percentage of players know what any of the possible monsters is going to be oh yeah and sure. so being able to inject, you know, something that is just a str- like something based on a strange ghost story from a mm-hmm. particular period or region, I think, is a, a good way of getting around that. I know Ethan uh, from the Technical Difficulties has done his whole Cthulhu Civil War uh, scenario. Now that I think about it, in a similar vein, I'd have I, I now I kind of wish I'd <laughs> invited him too, so we get his perspective. But um, that that that'll be a future podcast. Um, Thad, what do you have any other ideas for uh, like not going full? I'm going to write a thesis on this subject period, but you know, to, to well, I mean, get- honestly, uh, speaking of people we know making games, there's there's this. Uh, it's by Habanon Games. I've only ever seen that. <laughs> but uh, Caleb's no security yeah. settings. Yeah. Uh, the you know using the the depression. I, I feel like a lot of his ethos behind that was also that same sort of avoiding the ways that Call of Cthulhu has been sort of w- worn out. Like it's it's more overused areas, and and then sort of choosing a thematically appropriate era to to build up from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, uh, you don't need to know too much about the Great Depression in order to play and enjoy, but you do learn something about that because he talks about the Hoovervilles or, uh, the whole mountain climbing yeah, fad, yeah. uh, to build up, you know, national morale. Um, for me, one thing, um, one approach is obviously just going on the internet and researching maybe long form articles. If you find something like, you know, the New Yorker or the Atlantic about your given history topic, um, you can usually find like recent, you know, they kind of summer there's, there's sort of, there's, there's, there's a different, there's, you know, different levels of coverage and like, uh, academic, you know, stuff is at maybe at the very top, but you can go one or two downs and find things in the sort of popular press, um, you know, books that kind of summarize the academic works. Uh, I mean, even just there. historical novels can get you a lot of good yeah. day-to-day information. I mean, depending on the author, some people are full of shit. Um, yeah. Like- um, shout out to local libraries. Like, if you mm-hmm. go in and talk to your librarian, like, yes. um, you're like, hey, I'm interested in learning about um, this culture, but, like, I don't know where to start, but I'm vaguely mm-hmm. interested in these things. Like, your local library um, 
if, even if they it's not their like field, like they'll have some ideas on where to start you with digestible material. So mm-hmm. definitely, definitely use that resource. Um, yeah, yeah, that that's a good one. Um, certainly, I've looked at Goodreads and Amazon, just browsing books and like reading reviews of certain topics, just to sort of get an idea <laughs> of what's what's there. Um, I mean, my my go to research method, if it's something I'm pretty in the dark on, is to go to Wikipedia. <laughs> scroll down to the bottom and see like what the the sources are that the article was pulled from and that can that can often point you towards a lot of good just basic texts um yeah i mean like there there are books like uh uh the i read one on the when the last days of the inca which is about the fall of the incan empire i've talked this about about this on the podcast before but it's a pretty it's it's very approachable it's a very easy thing and i feel like there's there's books like that covering a ton of different topics um you know and there's there's a lot of historical books about given subject matter that i found very interesting like i just picked up one called buzz uh which is the history of alcohol and caffeine Uh, so you can get a lot of ideas about like talking about hey when did coffee become popular and what were the ramifications in society and everything became better um and you know alcohol obviously We've had a long history with that. So, uh, it, oh yes, I, I have my own pet theories about why alcohol developed independently in so many cultures, and it's yeah. because in every human culture that made alcohol, somebody looked at somebody else and said, "Oh, this smells awful. Try it." <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but uh, if you if you don't want to uh, do that, yeah, actually, librarians. I mean, they're they're paid to find things. I mean, that's their their specialty is figuring out how to get information uh, to people, and they're an yeah. excellent resource. Librarians definitely, yeah. uh, they're they're the heroes. Yeah. Um. So once you get some material to research, um, thinking of a different angle about it. Um, approaching it for not from like the most, I mean, I think the most compelling games are the ones that look at it from a new perspective. Cause I think we're, we were all suddenly energized and jazzed by the idea of being like an Edo firefighter ripping down buildings. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I want that more than I want almost <laughs> anything now. Um, so we could also talk about like what kind of, um, what, what, yeah. Are there any games that, uh, you want to like, what are, what are some of the historical eras and settings that have uh, uh interest you recently um do bridget do you have any that uh you, you oh know? um mexico um right around the turn of like like 1900 like 1800s to 1900 um because there was so much going on in that time there was this big clash of like many many different cultures so like um people like say all the time like you know it's totally feasible to have a samurai and like a chinese pirate and like um a mexico warrior and like um like all these different characters like in the same party like in history like um just just in mexico in that time or um south china sea at that time um so that's definitely like something something i would want to uh research um one like the, the cultures in the area like are cool um the 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 climate is much much different from like where i live i'm like in the middle of a rainforest so like um <laughs> so like going down into some place that's drier or hillier or even like um a more i don't know south of the equator um 
when you get down to South America. Anyway, that the whole that that like blending of like things that you think of as very different things, like you kind of think as like Japan and ancient China and all these things is like being separate, but like there's this big cultural overlap that would be interesting to deal with. Uh, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about uh, in terms of the the um, that post on Tumblr. Uh, yeah, you've read that Tumblr post. <laughs> yes, I, I have. I'm trying to find it right now uh, while while I'm looking for it because I want to read that. Because again, yeah, it's it's a very gripping idea um, of the idea. It wasn't it wasn't the 1800s. It was like the 1500s. It was like was it 10, 15? It, it, well, the 15. 1500- no, it's like it's like turn of the century. Like you you could you could you could have like a gunslinger and you could have a samurai. And oh, there's actually have- another one. Because Chinese they, pirate, yeah. Um, they said that there was a um, fall of the uh, within ten years of the fall of the Aztecs. Uh, there was a Chinatown in Mexico, mm-hmm. um, and there were samurais there working Ooh. as uh, mercenaries. And so, um, so yeah, there were there. Yeah, so you could have you could have a pirate and samurai in the same area. You could also have like a fallen uh, Aztec warrior and a samurai. Um, and why and, isn't every movie set there? Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, let me see. I'm. I, I'm. Let me keep looking. Um. Uh, Thad, um, do you have any uh, uh, historical? Uh, I don't know. I mean, mine's the, the thing that sort of popped out at me most recently as I was uh, I was reading uh, Against the Day by Thomas Pynchon because I am postmodern trash, and uh, the, it it opens at the the Columbian Exhibition in Chicago in 1893, and and just the descriptions of that, I was like, man, you could you could set a hell of a game there, especially considering you also have other like horrible shit going on in the background. Uh, at the time, like I don't know, it's just the the way that it was described. It was just this uh, spectacular mashup of not only uh, all this like great fancy like impress the tourist stuff, but also a lot of like labor struggles going on in the background. And it was this great juxtaposition of those sort of things. And I was like, you know, you could have a really good game in that tension somewhere. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, so I found the post. Uh, fun fact: I'm gonna totally mispronounce this. Uh, the the Aztec capital. Uh, Tenochtitlan uh, fell in 1521. Close enough. Yeah, from 1603 onward, large numbers of honest-to-god Japanese samurai came to Mexico from Japan to work as guardsmen and mercenaries. Ergo, it would be 100% historically accurate to write a story starring a quartet consisting of a child or grandchild of an Aztec nobleman, an escaped African slave, a Spanish Jew fleeing the Inquisition, uh, and a katana-wielding samurai in colonial Mexico. Uh, and a whole bunch of Chinese characters because Mexico City had a Chinatown within ten years of the fallen, w- within the fall of the Aztec Empire. So yeah, um, that's that's <laughs> that's right the greatest it, thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> that's right around when Tokugawa was um, consolidating power. Um, so like, with no more civil war in Japan, like the warrior class needs to get paid somehow. Yeah, yeah. warriors got a war. So, um, but yeah, yeah um, also again like. Um, 1800s going into 1900s um because that was like still pre-meiji restoration so like samurai are still around like they're not that same kind of like feudal warrior but like people running around with swords definitely (laughs) still a thing you've got you've got um you've got wild west in happening around the same time Mm -hmm. um 
Yeah, All so kinds yeah, of cool you had the samurai, the cowboy, and a pirate, a very old pirate, because that wasn't too far off from the age of uh, the golden age of sail. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you'd had, yeah, honestly, which, yeah. it it takes surprisingly little digging to find out how poorly served we've been by like movie versions of the old west or of whatever. Like, so much more stuff you could have been pulling from. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite. Uh, there, there's also things like uh, Fordlandia. Uh, which is uh, Ford's a failed rubber plantation slash American suburban town in the middle of the Brazilian uh, rainforest in the jungle. Like he just, he like mowed lawns and like Midwest style houses that were not adapted to the climate at all, obviously. And cause he just wanted that whole vertical integration. So he wanted his own source of rubber. So he's like, I'll just build a, you know, a Detroit suburb in the amazon that's makes sense and <laughs> wow um um that's what you want to avoid when researching history yeah. like don't don't be forward don't yeah. be forward everybody don't don't be forward don't blatantly insert uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but i mean you can yeah. use ford to show how dumb that idea is yeah, yeah, you yeah. can use ford just don't be ford like don't try and build a detroit suburb in the amazon <laughs> Uh, all right that's uh and yeah uh i could see that um yeah that's the other thing is uh, of course uh what is appropriate and what is inappropriate for uh talking about this kind of stuff because uh, obviously history you know different different mores different morals different attitudes uh towards a lot of things um so there's a I don't know if we talked about this before on the show but there's there's a common thing uh in rpgs now called the x card uh, which is the idea that if somebody has something they don't want to talk about in the game or address the if they if they want to do it before the game they talk about it but if something comes up during the middle of the game they can tap a a like an index card with an X on it to kind of like let everyone know that they're not comfortable with that. Um, I'll, oh, I'll link to a post about this. Um, I think we've talked about this before. I'm not not 100 sure, but <laughs> um, I th- yeah that yeah, sorry, sorry. Bridget yeah sorry. Definitely, definitely. I think that's going to be useful because um, there's a lot of things in history that are useful for like simu- simulate simulating things, but I don't know that you want to go one to one with like mm-hmm. um, ethnically motivated conflict. Is that how I want to say that? Like, yeah. you definitely like. Um, I would, yeah, I would yeah. shy very hard away from anything that that could be considered a slur. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like, especially if you're going to record it for a podcast, you don't want a listener internationally to go. Yeah, I like, mean, it's bad enough hearing the RPPR cast try and use French accents, but like yeah. taking it up the next level is no, uh, like you, yeah. you want to be respectful. Um, the way I always, um, or at least like what I, what I, what I try to do is, um, uh, it's okay to tell stories set in these various places, like to tell story that's set in another culture, but you don't want to tell stories about what it means to be part of that culture unless that's like your culture. So like for me, like I don't want to tell stories about like what it is to be Japanese because that is a conversation that I do not have a seat at a table at. Right, right. Um, no, that's that's a very good point. Um, 
another thing for me also is, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about like, oh, we need accuracy in this game or whatever. Uh, and that's <laughs> often, often brought. Up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, in, in like, well, everyone passed. Was a no one can fire a gun without doing yeah. this calculus. Um, well, historical yeah. accuracy in more that all the characters are men and none of them have anything other than white pigmentation. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> One, like, obviously, like, um, I've, I've been pretty relaxed in terms of, I prefer games that are more relaxed in terms of like, if someone wants to play, um, you know, a, a woman or a person of color in a game, even if they like, if they, we, we first talk about what kind of issues they want to address with that. Um, and if they want it to be like, I just, I don't, I want to play, you know, a woman in this game and I don't want to deal with like the insane racism or sexism of the, the Victorian era or whatever. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Um, we don't have to address that. Cause not every game has to be about everything. Like, um, but if we do like, especially if it's a darker game, then like we'll address it. But again, yeah, no slurs. Um, and that kind of thing. But like, also what, what irritates me about those accuracy people is that, you know, the, the past was not nearly as white as they think it is. There, there were, there were, there were not, like women yeah. were doing things back then too. Like it, it's a lot more complex than you think it is. Um, so yeah, don't use accuracy as a justification for being a shitty person. Well, I think, I think the main thing is, and, yeah. I think the main thing is to be, is to try and cultivate an awareness of where one's idea of historical accuracy comes from, mm-hmm. because most of us, I think, Unless unless we've gone out of our way to not be this way, our idea of historical accuracy comes from movies and television. Yeah. And that's that's the same as not having an idea of historical accuracy. Well, and if you're gonna rely on I'm sorry to shit on an entire branch of academia, but we're gonna do it do anyway. It. Um if you're gonna use anthropology as like as your source, remember that like lots of anthropologists are like people in the UK, people in America, like talking about civilizations that are like not their own. So like there is a huge disconnect from the people who are studying it versus like the people who actually have lived experiences. Yeah, like, it, gives you, it gives you a much better idea of how to deal with it if you imagine them wearing pith helmets and monocles while they're talking. Yeah, like um, yeah. like just consider the construction of the pyramids. Like how much of like the actual like technical diagrams did people go, oh, this is purely for for symbolic reasoning and things like that when it's like actually has like <laughs> – technical meaning that makes sense like yeah. um there's there's lots of things where people are like um wow this this man this man never had a wife and he never had any children but he sure was best buds with this guy that he got married or they're, that he uh, that he died with, with and is, yeah. is yes they're good like, friends <laughs> they were bad yeah, like, to each other that's how how much of the, how much of they were the bros. goodest of friends uh, that yeah no like um yeah, every every perspective is every by flawed in some way. Like, there's no like omniscient, perfect, neutral observer. Um, and like, you know, you bring up the, py- the construction of the pyramids, for example. Like, our com- you know, the in popular culture, it's like, oh, slaves were forced to do it, and it's like, no, they weren't. Like, it was, uh, it was way more complex than that. Like, they 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 was a whole yeah. It's they weren't just yeah, they weren't slaves. It was it was just the thing to do, and like they yeah. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta get food somehow. Well, I mean, it, it wasn't even food; like it was, it off, it was something to do when they weren't harvesting them. When they were just, it was the off season, and um, 
like yeah, Egypt, Egypt's another good one that like yeah. we think we know about and just hard don't. Yeah, and I mean Egypt. Well, you can't even talk about like which era. I mean, it's literally thousands <laughs> exactly. of years of history. Like, we, well, that's yeah. that's. I think that to me is is sort of the just in terms of historical perspective, one of the reasons why World War II is something we go back to endlessly in popular mm-hmm. culture and in a lot of games is because it irrevocably shaped our idea of what a nation is. And like, even going just a little bit back from that mm-hmm. with like, we're just lost. <laughs> it's sad. Uh, yeah. That, like that's a, you know, you bring up world war two and we all, and I think, um, a lot of problems is that like that. I think it's worse to, if your, your conception is only based on movies and TVs and you aren't willing to, um, do this. For example, there, there was a lot of, uh, um, you know, we think of when we think of world war two, we think probably a bunch of Americans and Brits fighting the Jerry's overseas, uh, or whatever. And guess what? You know, for example, there were a lot of Brazilians who fought as, uh, uh on the side of the UK. There were a lot, like it was a world war. And so, uh, well, what? and even like, like, when do you think your idea, like what, what do you think, is the start date for World War Two? Yeah, like think about like it when, was in World War One, I, I believe. Yeah. yeah, when did World War Two start for Japan? If you want to say 1940s, you're dead wrong. Like <laughs> World War Two for Japan kind of starts around like 1917. Yeah, uh, uh, that yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, like you know, people uh, criticize. It's, it's the it's the History Channelification um, of of our ideas of history. Like people criticize the movie Dunkirk because all you saw were a bunch of skinny white guys that all look the same. Um, oh yeah, there were a lot of like Indian soldiers. Yeah, the, there there the, were the, uh, Dunkirk. Like, I was know, reading like, about that. That was India was an ally really? of the UK before they was <laughs> ally is an interesting term, but we'll move past <laughs> colonial yeah, subjects. India, Fine, yeah, all right. Yeah. India so. is still like what we would consider one of the democratic powers um, in yeah. Asia. Yeah. So that's definitely something to consider. Yeah. yeah. So like, there's 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 tons of complexity uh, in, in World War II, um, and which is often sort of like ignored uh, for a movie that we saw ten years ago or twenty years ago or whatever. Um, and that's not really fair. So like, and and again, this of course, when you're thinking about this, you're like, oh god, now there's so much I never want to do history. Well, no, <laughs> but like, I I would say one, don't try and try and fo- like i think the best historical rpgs are the ones that focus on very specific very sort of localized things like i mean i'm going back to the firefighters uh and then the reign of terror we were a small group of soldiers we, yeah, we yeah, did yeah. we did two things and it was not like we see all of the french revolution well we i mean were, yeah, like i'm like, looking through the text of that adventure too like it's pretty pointed as to like where you get to get like it's a very tightly framed adventure yeah um and in bridges games it was a very again like we're samurai on a mission we go from here to there uh it wasn't like again like the grand sweeping epic which i think is a temptation to do um is well it's a lot more challenging to do it right but like if you can tell a really cool story uh if you if you just kind of figure out something that you know is going to be novel for the players and interesting and engaging. Uh, and I think with the, with a lot of these, like, uh, I mean, again, one of my favorite things about the Reign of Terror book is the uh, the bits about the day to day lives of people in that mm-hmm. period. Yeah, because uh, and yeah, I mean, like, even one of the first books in the bibliography is is like day to day life in revolutionary France, and it's like that. I feel like that would be the best kind of source to start with for, mm-hmm. for these sorts of things. Yeah, 
Sorry, Bridget. If you want to run a really cool World War II game, what I would pitch to you is um, you're in like France and you're playing journalists and your goal is to keep your hometown newspaper alive. Because um, <laughs> like um. there's all kinds of drama, like like gunfighting and heists and like demolitions and like political intrigue that can happen in your small town in France purely because you want to run a newspaper. Like that's that would that oh, would be an interesting campaign to me, uh-huh. honestly. Yeah, uh, that actually does. Uh, that actually, one of the first one of the games I did play. That one of my best games I just remembered uh, before I started R- RPPR was someone who ran a game set in World War II, but we were like civilians in the Netherlands, or like we were, or yeah, and um, you know we just had to deal and occupy uh, Europe, and just like oh, and we have to have our papers, and we need to forge new papers, and where can I get medicine? And um, like, yeah, so that actually reminds me a little bit. There was. Um... I think it's just a little free online game by uh, Lucas Pope, the same guy who made Papers, Please, that was mm-hmm. called the Republia Times. And it's just you running a newspaper in like a, a country similar to the Papers, Please setting mm-hmm. where it's just this very like locked down government controlled thing. And you like try and pick what stories to run and all this is is really just an engaging little thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And even on RPPR, um, I'm thinking of the, the Cold War game um, where you're playing, I don't remember if it was Gumshoe or Dirty World. Uh, um, it was Dirty World. Dirty World. Yeah, where you're, yeah. yeah, where you're in... Um, dangers of Fraternization, uh, the one in yeah, Berlin. Yeah, Dangers of Fraternization, the one in Berlin, where it's like two, gr- two different groups um, trying to solve a crime across international jurisdictions that just happens to cross in Berlin. Like that, because that's a really interesting yeah. Cold War, Fallout of World War II game that also, on, on, in a lot of ways, has everything to do about the Cold War, and it also mm-hmm. has nothing to do about the Cold War. It's It's very, very tightly packed, and there's... And most of the conflict is just like, how do we bribe the guards to let us go into town? Like, what even counts as a bribe? Like, do I do I trust the guy that I'm working with as as my as my co detective? Like, it's it's very very interesting. I like the setup for that. Yeah, Um, and I think the lesson we're getting here is again, the best role playing games are the ones that have the greatest stories, and so you have to use you and so you have to make the and stories are about people. Um, not, you know, you, it's not about specific people doing specific things. And so by boiling it down to like the very, like, what is this one person doing or what are the small group of people doing? And then like, then pulling in the, the, the relevant historical details to make that like, here is a a situation that's similar, but not quite like anything you've seen before. And it's going to be a little different and it's going to be like, you're in a new world because you, you aren't, it's going to be a little off balancing, but it's going to be, you know, you're getting, you're getting sucked into this narrative now because it's a, uh, yeah, it's not just a murder mystery. It's a really fucked up murder mystery because of these specific <laughs> reasons. Um, and I think that's that's the lesson is to use history, but to always, never forget it's about the people and the story and to use the bits of a history that make that the best story. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I think uh, Bridget brought up Eternal Darkness earlier, and I think it has a lot of really good examples of that because all of its levels are just like vertical slices of different time periods. Mm-hmm. 
and each will have a little bit of setup where it's like, okay, well, yeah, I can see how the church in this era would be a great place for evil to be like hiding and manipulating. And then, you know, now we're in a world war and it's like, okay, yeah, we're in a giant meat grinder of, of human misery. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just like finding those sort of, again, like to me, it's, it's a, I see the most like successful, whether it's in video games or whether it's in tabletop games being like when the theme and what you're trying to do, like what you're trying to explore yeah. in the game, mesh, where it's not just arbitrary so set. Like we were talking about yeah. earlier. Um, think of the story and then think of what period of history. Maybe think of what kind of activity is. Is it police work? Ugh. Or is it firefighting? Or is it this? Or is it that? So, sorry, Bridget. Yeah, because you want to you zoom in to the individual level because ultimately your players are going to be playing individual people and you want all of the narrative to focus around them. Like nobody cares about a big fantasy world or whatever with a big villain in it if you never get to fight that villain. Um, yeah. So in the same manner, like if you're going to make a, um, a story like about a historical event, like you only care about the parts that like your players as people could actually experience. Mm-hmm. So like if you're going to do it in world war two, like, um, like the big bad guys in world war two may or may not be interesting to you, depending on what the, the individuals are. Because like, again, if you're playing like your, your team of, of people in France trying to, to keep a newspaper going, that's going to be very, very different than if, say, like, you're the the five people that were sent on an extremely complicated undercover mission to attempt to assassinate one of Hitler's generals. Like, mm-hmm. that's going to be a very different game, but, like, they're both still interesting because you've zoomed into that that individual, um, like, person-level yeah. uh, so, lens. Yeah, so, that, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of what we're going for. So, um, I think we've... Uh, hopefully this gives you everyone uh, some food for thought. Uh, if you have other questions uh, uh, or comments, please post them on the site. Uh, but when we come back, we'll have shout outs and anecdotes. And we're back, and I know what music we're going to be using for this episode, uh, which, uh, Bridget, you can actually go ahead and talk about since that's your first shout-out. Yeah, um, big shout-out to Jess from online. Um, the the thing of work I want to highlight is she just released um, an album called uh, Arcology. Uh, it's kind of a cyberpunk outrun synth wave like album. So like if you're a big fan, I of, like, like all cyber- of those words. Yeah, if you if you like vaporwave, if you like synth music, if you like cyberpunk, like definitely um, Jess's album is something you want to check out. Um, you can listen to it obviously for free because she posted up on Bandcamp. But if you like it, um, please buy the digital album. You will not regret it. I promise. Uh, yeah, I did buy it, uh, and I have been using it in a couple of podcasts already. Uh, but I'll put another track in so the so the fans can listen to it, uh, and of course a link to Bandcamp. And yeah, um, so my first shout out will actually be a pair of videos that kind of go over similar things. Um, recently, uh, I was never a f- I never got into Nostalgia Critic or Channel Awesome, uh, but I've been uh, I've been made aware of like this this huge controversy about Channel Awesome, and I don't want to comment about that specifically. But I've watched I'm going to link to two videos that sort of explain. Um, one is called Fall on Titans uh, from Quinton Reviews, and the other one is uh, Down the Rabbit Hole, which is. Uh, and that's for Spoonie, uh, Noah Antwiller, who is yeah, the, the Spoonie one. Yeah. I, I know you uh, you mentioned on Twitter, and then the yeah. the other one I stumbled across on my own somehow. They are really good. 
Uh, yeah, and, and uh, Spoonie was part of Channel Awesome for some time, but uh, the reason I bring them up because they're just for me, for me as an internet content creator, sort of a cautionary tale of you know what not to do, um, you know, a parable of uh, what letting. I don't know. I mean, you can make any kind of comparison. Maybe it's there something about egotism, something about you know arrogance or mental health issues. Who knows what led to these people? They started releasing videos in 2000, right with the beginning of YouTube, and then blipped TV, blip.tv, then back to YouTube. And, they and now very look on their work, see reviews. Mighty in Despair. Yeah, and they became very popular. And they're still kind of popular in some degrees, um, but they kind of burned a lot of bridges, as you'll, listen, as you'll see in those videos. And now Spoonie no longer is producing anything and channel awesome. A lot of people have left it. So it's, it's sort of a fascinating bit of inter- We're already having these, this first wave of internet celebrities that have already risen, fallen and just totally burned out. Like, I mean, this is kind of like the internet equivalent of VH one behind the scenes. So, um, I, I found them pretty interesting. Um, purely as an informative thing. Cause again, I, I was not really aware of, them because i mean that's the other thing about the internet you can be an internet celebrity and only a few hundred thousand people or a few million people know about you and lots of other almost everyone else will know nothing about you so um, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time on the internet an unhealthy amount of time and there are plenty of people i will hear about and apparently they've been famous for a long time yes yeah, exactly it's really strange uh so pretty pretty fascinating uh stuff uh thad what's your first shout out uh, my first shout out is to uh, one of my favorite little uh, indie video game makers. Uh, she goes by Kitty Horror Show. She, um, I think her her biggest game thus far is uh, a game called Anatomy, which is a great little haunted house exploration thing. Uh, and she has a lot of other pay what you want games that are that just they are my preferred aesthetic of interesting little indie games. Most of them are first person exploration games with a very glitchy aesthetic uh, and a lot of like strange horror and i love it that she's just the best uh so uh, i highly recommend uh if you if you can pay money for her stuff i recommend you do so because she's you know a, a small indie content creator and cool. uh creates a lot of joy through horror yeah i, I enjoyed anatomy i uh, yeah i think you're the one who sort of told me that it was worth buying and was um so bridget uh you have another shout out yeah, um, so obviously I, I opened RPPR with Queer Cyberpunk. Um, my Woo! first music shout-out is, again, Queer Cyberpunk, so we're just going to keep that theme. Um, I want to give a shout-out to um, Ashton McAllen's In Which We Live and Breathe. Um, currently it's in like an alpha set of rules, but she, she has all of that um, written up. And In Which We Live and Breathe is kind of like um, Chatterrun, but it, it really wants to put an emphasis on the punk in cyberpunk um so it's about playing a group of people who are trying to stick it to the man (laughs) um so like at the end of adventures i think it's really interesting you get paid both in things you manage to get your crispy graspers on but you also get paid in damage you did to corporations and both of those directly influence your experience uh and then the other thing that i like about it is it has um a mechanic called tension which simulates like um hotheads and like interpersonal drama within your group 
Um, like it has like a, a mechanic to simulate like hurting feelings and forgetting each other or like pettily spiting each other. So if you liked um, the mechanic from everybody's grudge where like if you if you do something to be petty to your friends, like you get a point of edge for it, that is a grounding mechanic in, in which we live and breathe. So definitely give Ooh. it a shot. Uh, yeah, no, I'm looking at the site now. It looks very cool. Um, you're, you said you were going to be playing that pretty soon. So I'm really, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be playing a game in it, um, on Sunday. Um, uh, Ash herself is going to be running it. Um, and so I'm going to be playing with a mixed group of Australians and people from the Pacific Northwest. Um, so I'm expecting it to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I really like the website for it. Uh, because you got these little uh, interesting little icons on the side that have little gameable bits in it. Um, so yeah, no, I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. So, um, yeah. And speaking of indie uh, sort of RPGs, um, I want to give a shout out to Damn the Man, Save the Music. It's a um, RPG basically about Empire Records, the movie, the role playing game. I mean, it's not specifically, but you're all employees of a Revolution Records, a tiny uh, music store in 1989, and you're just uh, trying to get through another day of work. Um, there's nine sort of archetypes like the space case or the flirt or uh, the, the, the troubled poet. And you collaboratively as a group come up with the, the, the owner or the bot, your boss and what they're, what they're, what that person is like. And then, uh, what there, there's a big, and it's about one particular day where a big shot, a former, uh, sort of a, a music star who's fallen on hard times is coming to do a signing at the store to raise money. And like, you kind of need this to go by smoothly in order to keep paying the rent for the store and everything. Um, and, oh, wow. So it is literally Empire Records. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it is. Um, and like you have the choice between working on the relationships you have with the other employees, uh, your own personal goal, which could be like uh, find confess your true love uh, or find the lost cat or, you know, uh, these are excellent goals. Yeah. Ex- excellent goals. Um, there are other ones, but I forgot what they are. They're, they're not as important. Um, and. I ran a game of it and uh, with, uh, let's see here, Caleb, uh, Sean, and Aaron, and we all had a blast with it. Um, and I'll have an anecdote about that later on, but it's a really fun game. Um, it takes a little getting, I mean, I, I would recommend reading it. And the book's not very long, so it doesn't take too long to absorb, but uh, it definitely interesting game design. Um, so, yeah, uh, I really like that. Um, let's see here. Thad, you, you had another one. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump from indie video games to professionally made video games uh, because one of my favorite DS games recently got a re-release, a game called Radiant Historia, uh, which was originally on the DS, just got re-released for the 3DS. Uh, Radiant Historia: Perfect Chronology is its new, fancier title, I guess, and it is a uh, it's a good old-fashioned 2D RPG where you time travel and try and suss out what's going on in this crazy fantasy war that you're embroiled in because you start out as a spy, but then in like different timelines, you're on both sides at the same time, but it's great. I like it. (laughs) It's, it's, it's my kind of bonkers. Uh, that does sound fun. Um, I have one more shout out. Um, well, 
again a, a sort of a twofer uh i do want to uh give a shout out to reign of terror the chaosium book uh the seventh edition call of cthulhu scenario that it, i ran and you you can listen to our full run of it uh it's a very well put together book uh and pdf uh I, it, the book is actually really nice you know uh full color glossy they not only have original illustrations they have a historical uh artwork you know uh drawings and paintings of what it was like uh you know from 1789 1794 uh so it's it's a it's definitely a fun scenario uh to play in um and they they have suggestions for uh, guidelines for expanding it and running like an entire campaign in that era of like other plot lines and other and character creation guidelines so you can create other characters for the era um you know (laughs) stats for muskets and flintlock pistols uh, well, I saw they also had like ways that it ties into horror on the Orient Express and making yeah. it like a big sort of sweeping. Um, yeah. Time. So the horror of the Orient Express is a campaign that I have not read, but apparently the villain is an immortal and he he's here in this scenario. And like they have suggestions for incorporating in there and also like, here's what to do to make sure the timeline doesn't fuck up. You don't have a paradox in your campaign. No, uh, fuck it up. Fuck up the timeline. Well, I mean, eh, I guess uh, it is Cthulhu. That, that wouldn't be the hardest thing to do. So um, I also want to talk a little bit about Call Cthulhu 7th edition. Um, it does. It's definitely an improvement over 6th edition. Um, all stats are now percentiles instead of like having to take your stat times five or whatever. Ugh, um, man. Yeah, yeah. You, It's just percentiles now. Um, they do. They've also simplified critical successes. There's now like hard and uh extreme difficulty i think which is like a half or a fifth of your skill and like you're supposed to just do those calculations during character creation so they're already on your character sheet they're on the pre-generated characters for uh reign of terror um reign of terror had some really excellent uh characters by the way player characters with their own little backstories and personalities including um a woman who is uh dressing as a man to to uh fight in the to earn her pay as a soldier to support her family um so yeah she was pretty i, I also yeah. liked the uh what was the name of the character that aaron played who was like just the ugliest person oh dubois <laughs> Dupont. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty he, fun. He's just like the cantankerous bastards. Um, so he, so seventh edition would definitely play some more of. Um, we had, I mean, we we weren't, we didn't really try out the auto fire rules because you know there were no you know Tommy guns back in 1789. So we'll have to see how that compares to Delta Green's lethality rules. Uh, but I do, we, they did like the system. They did like having the luck as an attribute that you could burn. To, I mean, and that's an optional rule. You don't have to do that. So you could really emphasize the horror, but it provides options for making it more pulpy, I guess, to give characters a little bit of narrative control. So, um, yeah, I thought that was fun. Um, so we'll definitely be, be exploring more of, there's a bunch of, they've, Chaosium's already put out a bunch of scenarios for 7th Ed, and there's some really interesting ones. Um, they have some modern day ones. Uh, let's see here. Do, 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 do. They have some other historical ones. Um, so yeah, what were some of the ones I was looking at? Uh, sorry, do, 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 do scenarios. Um, let's see here. They have, uh, they have Wild West ones. Um, of course they have some Carcosa ones. So I'm really tempted to get that. And they have an entire pulp themed campaign. So, um, yeah. So, Oh, they also have a Soviet one. Speaking of history, cold harvest, which is apparently playing in 19 in Stalin's Russia in the late 1930s. Uh, so that would be interesting to try out. Um, so yeah. Any more shout outs? 
Did we? I think we got everything. No, nah, that's that's all yeah. mine. Um, so I do want to mention, uh, yeah, the anecdote. So, damn the man saved the music. Uh, the players uh, that made that their their boss was Colonel Spoo, uh, who was a World War One veteran, and he was like ninety years old, and he won the record store in a <laughs> poker game, and he was kind of going senile and had connections to the mob. So um, there was a in a, a truck. In the back of the building, you know, uh, that had that had basically been stolen, and there was like a trailer uh, attached to it that had a pallet of Fago, and this is like, take wherever this takes place, <laughs> this is outside the Fago distribution circuit. So it's like Fago, the only Fago you can get in the state, but it's also free Fago, uh, but it's left out in the trailer in the back, so it's hot Fago, um, <laughs> and it's hot Fago in more than one way because it's illegal. I mean, it's stolen Fago, and it's also it's hot hot, hot Fago. Yeah. Uh, so the players made that, that that became a running joke of um, the the Fago um, because they, they wouldn't drink the water and it was free Fago. So they had to drink it no matter how gross it tasted. Um, <laughs> of course, the the whole backyard also <laughs> the, the double area, hot Fago <laughs> uh, became sort of an important area because one of the troubles that came up was Colonel Spoo went out and was having an episode and just, you know, having uh, uh, g- being crazy and. Um, and so the player decided, oh, well, we, we dug out a trench back there that he just instinctively goes to. Uh, and so I catch him there. And uh, then the one player did have the, the, the personal goal of finding the lost cat and said, well, of course, I just go to the trench. And like every cat's just like, you know, places to hide. So he's just curled up in the, in the trench uh, along with Colonel Spoo. So, uh, but there's Colonel a- Spoo and Lieutenant Mittens. <laughs> I, I can't remember what I, th- I want to say it was like like pri- private first class uh Darlington or Bigglesworth or something like that. It was it was a very <laughs> cute name. Um but I do remember this whole thing about Hot naming. Fago. Uh Kale talks about how he used to work in a music store where one employee literally abandoned their car in the parking lot and a ba- and there was like several 2 liter bottles of Mountain Dew in there. And so after a few weeks everyone just sort of took the hot Mountain Dew out of the car to drink because again it was free and if you work <laughs> in some sort of music or record store you will just take whatever is free to drink apparently is the lesson yeah, I, I mean that's it. i believe i believe that is true in all cases <laughs> um so it was a pretty short game uh but i will definitely want to post that uh sooner or later because i had a lot of fun with it i even got to play music because i found some public domain music to use that's punk um Woo! So, yeah uh so that's something to look forward to um I forgot. Did either of you have uh, anecdotes um, aside from? Well, actually, Bridget, you could talk if you want to give a little teaser about uh, a game, a four-part game you ran recently. Uh, this, I guess, could be the time to talk about it. Yeah, um, we just did a game about. Speaking of my Patreon being magical girl themed, uh, we just we just did a four-part um, campaign that's going to be really really cool for our. I'm RPR. so jealous of this. Um, it's gonna, uh, it was Ross, Faye, and Dario, who you may remember from Shadowrun Games, um, played Magical Girls, um, and they had a lot of adventures with grappling with, um, what it means to be a girl with superpowers and, um, how you deal with the world ending. So that was, uh, it was really fun. There's a lot of really good oh, I cannot wait moments. For this. Um, and there was definitely not a part where I wondered if it was going to be a two episode campaign instead of a four episode campaign because people started losing limbs, uh, to Whoa! power magical abilities. So, 
Yeah, if you if you oh. ever want if you ever want to see Roscoe, well, this is a strong mechanical about ab- ability with no downsides. Like this is going to be the <laughs> wait. The did Ross become? Did Ross become Aaron? Uh, to to be fair, Dario starts it, but like yeah. once he does it, Ross is like, "Well, fine, I guess I'll die of everything too." <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So in Magical Fury, there is a rule that lets you do go basically Super Saiyan on somebody, but you, there's a there's a, there's a downside, but it doesn't happen until the end of the fight, like after you won. So it's fine. And <laughs> so and, you'll and kill down- yourself winning. Yeah. Well, and the downsides are like completely harmless things, like um, losing your eyesight permanently, or like your arm, like just becomes <laughs> eaten by the magic that you use to power your attack. Like just totally normal stuff with absolutely oh no God, downsides. This is this is amazing already. So, but the way to power game that is to keep using it until you have all of them. In which case, it can't get any worse. So you yeah, just you just become. <laughs> yeah if you if you've lost if you've lost both of your arms then when you get paralyzed arm like it no longer matters like, exactly you're invincible exactly i can't be blind twice i'm still blind <laughs> so uh that was i can't be blind twice ross Payton, 2018 <laughs> yeah no it, it was a it's a great game um and we're gonna have some original artwork for it it's gonna be great uh, I'm really looking forward to posting it. Um, but yeah, so that's something to look forward to. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's been RPPR episode 153, Histories Mysteries. Uh, I'm Russ Payton. Thanks again for listening. And uh, don't forget to back uh, Bridget on Patreon. Yay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.